Welcome to Athlete on Fire. This is episode number 80, and I'm Scott Jones, your host. Athlete on Fire is a show about bridging the gap between amazing athletes all over the world, inspiring adventurers, and the rest of us. And today is no different. So let's imagine that you're 36 years old. You've lived a typically normal life. You're kind of an adrenaline junkie. You've done everything from skiing and snowboarding to some crazy mountaineering, everything that you can imagine. Uh, You love living life and there's nothing different really going on in your life. And you go to the eye doctor and they tell you that there's 100% chance that you'll be blind and probably pretty soon. Let's imagine it takes you 8 to 12 months between hearing that news and actually going blind. This is the situation. Well, our guest today went through this situation and he is going to share what it was like to go through this and why and how he's gone on to do some amazing physical things that most of us haven't even done with our full sight. That is our guest today. You guys are going to really enjoy it. Athlete on Fire, I, I wouldn't even have known who this, this athlete was if it wasn't for our sponsor of today's show, who is Soul. And you can find out more about them at itchersoul.com. And we also have a nice little surprise at the end of the show from our sponsor. They're, they're really helping us out over here at Athlete on Fire. And they believe in all the same things that we do over here. You need to get out and enjoy life and really try to find that adventure that, that really suits you. Uh, you can find more about uh, one of our other sponsored athletes. Rebecca Rush was on the Athlete on Fire show episode 78. You can find that by going to athleteonfire.com slash 78. If you guys have not been to the Athlete on Fire website, we have a lot of cool resources there. There's some workouts that you can find that are inspired and recommended from our athletes. We have a blog, and and I personally share some insights to uh, training and the, and the mental and physical capacity to to really do well at a high level so i think you guys will enjoy that as well and uh, you know i'm always working to get more content out there for you guys but it is a good start for a site and it's uh i'm really proud of it so uh without further ado guys i'm going to step back and let our amazing blind ambassador and soul athlete tell his story today thank you very much prepare to be inspired by some of the most successful athletes on the planet this is athlete on fire your daily source of amazing stories that will ignite your pursuit of excellence and inspire you to be and do amazing things. Now, I have one question. Are you fired up? Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host. Thanks for tuning in today. So, Athlete on Fire, this is a show about bridging the gap between amazing and inspiring athletes and adventurers all over the world and the rest of us. And today is no different I have an amazing athlete, an amazing adventurer. His name is Trevor Thomas, and uh, I'm going to introduce him, and then we're going to tell his story a little bit down the road here. So, Trevor, how are you doing today, man? Doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about why you're so unique in, in what you're doing later on in the show, because I think, I think that's going to bring a lot, of, a lot of interesting conversation amongst people listening. But right now, I'm, I'm just going to really quick explain to you how the show works, explain to listeners who are new how the show works. Uh, so just give me a minute, and I'll do that, okay? All right, cool. All right, so uh, three segments. Athlete Defined is the first segment. We're just going to kind of hang out, Trevor, get to know him, where he's coming from, why in the world do I have you on the show today, what, what is your athletic background, just all that kind of stuff. You know, If we were hanging out at a coffee shop, that's kind of what this segment sounds like. Secondly is Athlete on Fire, and that's, you know, what is going on mentally and physically when you are doing these adventures that you do? Um, how do you prepare? What are some mental processes and, and and tricks and tools that you go through when you're out there? And and the physical, how are you preparing for these these hikes and these these huge treks that you do? And then lastly is athlete inspired, and that's really just about doing some quick takeaways, uh, giving the listeners some cool and and unique resources to to take with them so they can go do some amazing things on their own. So, that being said, are you ready to dive in, man? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Trevor, athlete defined. You're 15 years old. It's a Saturday in the middle of the summer. Where are you at? What are you doing all day? Uh, let's see. It's 15, middle of the summer. I think I'd be on my mountain bike in western Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah, man. All right. So I have you on a, I have you on a North Carolina call. So did you, did you grow up in western Colorado? or? Um, let's see. I... I grew up in in Midwest and then moved to Colorado. I even graduated from CU. 
Oh, no way. That's awesome. I swear to goodness, there's like a huge Colorado connection with the athletes that I'm getting on the show. I think the last three uh, went to see you. I just had uh, an amazing athlete, Chris Davenport, on. Um, actually, Soul, who introduced me to you, introduced me to Chris as well. This just amazing company up in Vancouver is connecting me with some amazing athletes and, and people they believe in. And uh, so I had him. I had um, Timmy Duggan, who is an elite cyclist who rode for the uh, the Olympic team. I had Travis Brown. All these guys went to to see you, and they're all really good endurance athletes. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, so where where in where in Western Colorado were you were you at? Uh, Grand Junction, man. All right. So for people who are around the world who have no idea what Western Colorado looks like, you know, most people picture Colorado as just huge mountains, tons of snow, and skiing everywhere. Just paint a picture really quick of how you remember Grand Junction. Uh, Western Colorado was awesome. It was um, pretty much high desert, so um, it's it's situated in a big in a big valley. You've got the you've got the Colorado Grand Mesa on one side, the Colorado National Monument on the other side, and the Book Cliff Mountains circle it. So you're in town, but you can be out you can be out in the wilderness in a matter of you know 15 minutes. So it was couldn't have been better. Yeah. So um, when, when you were coming up, did, did Fruta have all the trails that they have now? Because Fruta, Colorado, is just this huge mountain biking hub now. It's, it's obviously gotten bigger since I was there. But, um, you know, I still remember I still remember being able to do Cocapelli. I mean, that was, that was oh, probably man. the big thing while I was there that opened. Um, but I was just back in Carbondale for Five Point Film Festival, and I couldn't believe how much, you know, the entire western slope had changed. Yeah. So... The place is, I mean, for anybody listening, the, the Western Slope, uh, four hours driving time west of Denver, Colorado, and, uh, you know, you have to go through the Rockies. It's a beautiful drive, really. I mean, you're, you're going through the Big Daddy Mountains, and you, you kind of come through a couple canyons, and the, the landscape just slowly turns into to high desert. And high desert to me is just, you know, just amazing reds and oranges and, and tans just speckled all over the place. And the mountain bike community in Fruta, which is uh, a town that's really close to the Utah border, and Grand Junction, and everything between there and Moab has been pretty much connected by trail, whether it's on BLM land or, or national forest land. And it's just an amazing outdoor, I guess, playground is, is how I'd explain it, but just a really cool place. So so, so that's where you're spending your 15-year-old 15, 15 summer day. Um, let's dive in a little bit more to your childhood. Like, what you know, what was your family life like? What kind of, you know, what kind of family did you have? Did you have siblings? What kind of work ethic was instilled? Just kind of paint a picture of of how you came up. Okay. Um, yeah, we we grew up. We were middle class. Um, my dad pretty much has probably one of the coolest jobs in the world. He's a musician and he's one of the best flutists uh, in the world. So the whole time I was younger. He would be going on tour all over the place, China, uh, China, Russia, Japan, you name it, he's been there. So got exposed to a lot of the world at a really young age. Uh, my mom, uh, when I was younger, was a professor at Notre Dame of music and then went on and she was a nurse for quite a while and now she does hospital administration. So um, having my dad in the music industry was really, really cool because uh, music being an influence of mine when I was younger, um, got to meet all the really cool people that uh, you'd always go out and buy their albums from, all my all my guitar heroes and things like that. He seemed to know them, and he got the introduction, so that was really nice. Okay, um, so so give me a, a couple people that, that we would know, you think? Um, yeah, I would imagine so. Um, folks like, you know, Eddie Van Halen. Um, from, oh, yeah, from the Van Halen that guy, days. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so just, just really just people you never, most people normally don't get to meet. Um, you know, Man. it was, it was really nice. How cool is that? So um, were you, were you musical, musically inclined? Were you kind of, yeah, it, I, I guess it's, I guess it's a Thomas, uh, it's a Thomas requirement. Yeah. <laughs> um, started off, uh, you have to, you have to be trained classically in music, uh, if you're going to be in my family. So I started off uh, at the age of about four on the violin. And when I got the ability to be able to choose uh, what I wanted to do with my musical career, I decided, nah, that wasn't going to work. So I traded that in for an electric guitar, and I played for many, many years. Very cool. So do you still play for fun? 
Um, people keep asking me that. I haven't picked my guitar up since I went blind, but it's not because I don't think I can or anything like that. It's, I've been going in so many other directions that uh, just haven't gotten around it. No, that's really cool. And you know, we—I didn't mention that you're blind on purpose. I, I think it's just amazing when people hear some of the stuff that you're doing. It's going to be—it's already inspiring. And really quick, you guys, if you guys are listening and you kind of want to follow along, uh, Trevor's got a website. It's got you know everything he's working on that's new, his background, some things, some things that he's kind of he's kind of accomplished, so to speak. And you can follow him along there. It's blindhikertrevorthomas.com. I'll have the link on, on our website as well, athleteonfire.com, under the podcast show notes and everything else as well. Uh, so, okay, so we, we have a little picture of your, your parents. Did you have any siblings at all? Yeah, I've got a sister and two brothers. I'm the youngest. Uh, my sister's about three years older than I am. And then I've got a little bit of a, little bit of a jump between uh, myself and my, my two older brothers. So they were, you know, they were in, they, they were in high school when I was born. Um, so I didn't really get to know them until I got older and I was, you know, I was in, um, in, you know, college is when we really got close. Cool. Cool. So, okay. We know you come from a pretty talented and an interesting family. And I always ask this question, you know, if you and your whole, your whole crew is kind of hanging out like around the holidays or, you know, after dinner, you know, during a get together, what, what, what is a story that you can share about one of your parents, uh, that's kind of quirky or unique or funny that you guys would always bring up. It's just like one of those stories that always comes up because it, it just kind of had that impression on you guys. Oh gosh, that's a, that's a million dollar question. Um, I consider my family quirky till the end of time. So narrowing down those number of stories is kind of tough. I love, um, I love it. So I would, I would say, I would say the story that my mom always likes to bring up over and over and over again in regards to me being quirky and trying to define my personality is I started skiing when I was about the age of three and my mom and dad and sister all went up to this little tiny ski resort in, in Michigan and they have, of course, very small mountains there. I call them hills. Um, but got ourselves a ski instructor. Everybody was trying to go down the hill. They were following, you know, bruised and battered type of thing because they're skiing on ice. And my mom keeps telling me, you know, you got to come down the hill. I refused. I refused. I refused. And just kept watching people. And she said, you just stood there for about three hours. Didn't want to do anything. And they didn't think I wanted to ski. All of a sudden, I just went down the hill, did it perfectly. And wow. since then, you know, I guess that's why I turned into an adrenaline junkie. So <laughs> that's amazing. So you, you were just a, a very visual athlete. Is that is that how you kind of break that down? I, I I was I was a visual athlete. Yes, I was actually a very visual person. I was I was one of the lucky ones that had a photographic memory. So things like school were very easy for me. I simply looked at the textbook and I didn't really have to study. Like legitimately, you would remember exactly how things were on the page. Yeah, if I needed to take a test, I would simply read the question, and then in my mind, the book would appear, and I would turn the pages in my mind until I saw the answer, and then Jen then write it down. That's wild. So, is that anything that you went? Did you ever study like why people had that skill? Is that something that you became interested in as you got older? Uh, I didn't really get interested in that and why why some people have a photographic memory and why some people don't until I went blind when I lost mine. I simply I simply just took it for granted. You know, it was just yeah. it was part of me. It was who it was who I was. Uh, you don't when you have that kind of skill, you don't really think about it. I didn't sit around and say, Oh yeah, um, I I have a photographic memory, so I think I'll just read this book and and just know it. It so, just happened. So, you know, I, I don't like I told you before we got on. I try to stay away from cliche as much as possible because I think I think it's boring, of course. So, f later on in the show, I just want to make a mental note for you right now. If you okay. can take what you've learned from how that photographic memory thing works for people who can see and people who can't, and, and maybe we can bullet point that for people listening on on a few things that they can do to. to 
to get better at remembering things or just experience things in a different way, I think that would be really interesting. Okay? Okay. So just kind of make a mental note of that, and we'll come back to that uh, later in the show. All right? So, okay, okay you've mentioned that, you've, that you're blind a couple of times. Uh, and for everybody out there, S Skype is not blind-friendly. I just learned because it was very tricky to kind of get hooked up. So me and Tra Trevor's on his normal phone. And so that's, you know, that's one small, small, small challenge. And I'm sure you run into a lot of those, but I think, I think what I want you to do right now is just tell your story a little bit. You know, don't take 20 minutes. Don't go into cruise control with this because you've told your story a million times, I'm sure, but give people at least the essence of, of where you're coming from and why I would have you on a show called athlete on fire. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll start with the, the basic background. I think I had a pretty normal life, uh, up until I turned 35. I uh, graduated from from University of Colorado and then went in the business world for a while, was doing high-end corporate sales, decided that uh, the market was changing, went to law school. Right when I graduated from law school, that's when I became, I guess, a different person. I thought I might need some glasses because uh, I just wouldn't see all that well, so I went down and did my local vision works. And the optometrist looked in my eyes and said, whoa. I see something I don't like. I can't help you. you got to see a specialist. So I went to the specialist that very day because she was so concerned. And that pretty much that changed my life. I uh, found out that I had a very rare eye disease. They couldn't really identify what it was. Uh, I think they made the name up for me just to placate me. But the key thing was that they said 100% you will go blind. And number two, they didn't know how long it was going to take. In retrospect, it took about eight months, and it was the probably the the worst eight months that of of my entire life. It was it was like going to prison. Each and every day, my sight got worse. I could see it was getting worse. Um, yet you still hold out hope that oh, I'm going to wake up from a bad dream and it's all going to be okay. Um, best day I had after that was when it was finally over. When I finally went blind, you could, could actually move on and just say, okay, I now know where I am. It's time to pick up the pieces and go forward. I think while I, think while I was going blind, the worst thing was is people kept telling me all the things that I used to do in life. Um, driving a car, you can't do that anymore. Uh, that makes your life get a lot smaller, and you really have to you really have to re relook at how you're going to do things. Um, but the biggest thing was was I was always into into extreme sports. I was I was into into mountain biking. I was into backcountry skiing. I was skydiving. I was racing Porsches. I you know pretty much anything that sounded like you know it was going to be high energy and you know possibility of danger. I wanted to do it. And all of that was taken away in one fell swoop. So I, you know, I, I just desperately wanted that back. So I luckily uh, decided one day that you, know, you, you get to a precipice in your life and you say it's time to start living or it's time to start dying. And that's what I did. I figured that if I could just take control of one small portion of my life, which is getting back out, you know, and doing things on my own, um, getting, you know, getting in the back country, then everything would be okay. I would be able to find a way to do everything else. So that, that's how I found hiking. Um, was encouraged to do it as a safe thing to do. Thought it was a little bit tame and then found out, uh, that, that you can do, you can do endurance hiking, long distance hiking. And that actually, you know, has an element of survival. So it, it really, it really caught me. And lo and behold, it's turned into a career. <laughs> All right. So how long ago? How long ago was you said? So you were thirty-five when when you found out that you had that rare disease. Yeah. Uh, so thirty-five, I found out I was blind by I was blind by thirty-six, and it's going on nine years now. So, um, okay. yeah, it's, it seems like a lifetime ago. No, it's just wild, and you know, I'm I'm 35 right now, and uh, I turned 36 at the end of the month, and I'm just trying to imagine. Um, I just think, you know, I had, I had a great grandfather who went blind when he was older. Like 
he was in his late seventies. He he wasn't like he was still lucid. He had a good mind and everything, and he he described it to everybody, even when he was lucid, that you know it felt like a spaceship just came out of the sky and just slammed into his head, and then it, it was over. You know, and yeah, I think what you went through, it would have to be agonizing for someone who loved, who used their eyes for, for their livelihood and for what they enjoyed. You know, um, not that it wouldn't be traumatic for anyone, but for some of the things that you're doing, definitely. So you said, you, was it a day that it just, the lights went out, so to speak? Or was it like a few days or did it just get to where you just couldn't, you know, things were too blurry? I mean, you said there's a point when you just had to, to move on and you knew that you were blind. What was that? Was it a period of time? You know what I'm saying? What I'm trying to get to? Um, well, pretty much what happened is that, you know, my vision got smaller and smaller. Things I used to be able to see at, you know, maybe maybe 50 feet. One day, the next day, might not be able to see him, but 45 feet away. And my peripheral vision started to go. Uh, then I started to have giant chunks of my vision that just weren't there. So for a while, I went through, I went through a period where everything was all distorted and stretched. And I don't know if any of your, you know, any of your listeners have ever been in one of those fun houses that have those, those screwy mirrors where everything's all stretched around. Oh yeah, that's what that's what I saw for a while, and it was really horrifying. Yeah. Um, but it got to the point where my vision was just so bad that it couldn't do. I, it, it wasn't useful for anything at all. And then all of a sudden, it was just finally it was a relief. I woke up one day and I just I had none of it left. So that was most people would say, "Wow, that that day must have been really really crappy for me." That was a good day. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is what I got. Okay, so just as a personal question, how, how's the rest of your health? The rest of my health is perfectly fine. Awesome. That's the, that's, yeah, that's the crazy thing. Yeah. Uh, they, they, said I had, they said I had a rare autoimmune deficiency or rare autoimmune disease that uh, my immune system attacked the macros and eyes and killed them. That's but just I have nothing else. Well, you know what? That's that's why you're here today, and and the stuff that you've done physically is is very inspiring to me. You know, um, I I know you hiked the the AT through, and I I read a bunch of the excerpts from your blog and stuff when you're kind of sharing stories about that. And, and you know, if we talked about that whole trip, it would take a, a probably an 80 hour show. But that I'm sure that's one of your greatest accomplishments. If you want to just go ahead and just reel off a few of the things you've done adventurously as a, as a blind man. I think that'd be really, really cool for our listeners to hear. Okay. Uh, well, the, the first, first long distance hike I did was in 2008 and that was the Appalachian trail. I threw like that and became the first blind person to do it solo. Then after that, I got the bug and went on did the PCT. First one to do that. Went nice. and did Tahoe. First one to do that did Grayson Highlands seven times, did the entire through-hike of the Smokies, which is 800 miles. So that was the first one to do that. The first one to do the Ben, uh, the ben McKay, the first one to do the Mountains to Sea, first one to do the Long Trail. Really excited, you know, this year. I've got, a, got another hike that I'm going to be going back to, Tahoe, so I can be the first blind person to do it with a guide dog. Um... And this year we're going to go over 18,000 miles on trail. So it's, it's a lot of miles in seven years. That is wild. Well, which one's the Grayson Highlands? Is that Kentucky? Uh, Grayson Highlands is Virginia. Virginia, okay. If you haven't been, if you haven't been there, there's a reason why it's on Backpacker's top ten list. Yeah. It's I, incredible. I mean, my family's got roots in Virginia. I've got a camp in northeastern West Virginia. I just got back from there, and I've never even heard of Grayson Highlands, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, yeah, it, right outside of right outside of Damascus. Oh, I know exactly where that is. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, cool. cool. I have to check that out. All right, so you've done some some really cool stuff, and and we're going to get into the logistics of it, the mental preparation, the physical preparation. I had one more question before we, well, two more questions before we move on to the next segment. The first one is: you said you're an adrenaline junkie. So how do you, or can you get adrenaline being blind? So so you can't go as fast. Uh, I'm assuming. Um, so where do you get adrenaline now or do you get adrenaline now? Oh, I, I definitely get adrenaline now and I will put, 
I will put what I do, uh, long distance hiking and being able to survive in the backcountry. I will put that up there with any of the high adrenaline sports that I've ever done because there's so much involved with it. It's not only a physical sport, it's an endurance sport, but it's also incredibly mentally challenging. You have to, you have to prepare for everything from your, you know, your food drops. You know, are you going to be able to make the miles? You don't know what weather you're going to get and you don't have a choice. Uh, when I start a trail, I go to the other end, no matter what's in my way. Um, so I've hiked through hurricanes. I've hiked through snowstorms. Um, it just, you know, it just doesn't matter. And that's, that's what gives you the adrenaline rush, not knowing every single day what you're going to get and what new, you know, what new problems you're going to have to solve. Awesome. You know, that, that's perfect. That's a perfect segue for the next segment. So we'll just kind of move on right now and get back to that. The last question of this uh, this first segment, I feel like we have a good idea where you're coming from, is, uh, you know, what's the most inspiring thing you've ever been a part of, you've ever witnessed in person that has to do with adventure or competition or sport, any any of those categories? Uh, the most amazing thing I've been involved in, um, I would say, I, w- I would say it has to be and this, this probably, you know, this probably isn't, you know, hardcore adventure. Not, I wouldn't call it hardcore sport, but it, it's the most amazing thing that I've been involved with. With, it's it's my blind ambassador program. Being able to get blind kids um, out of their environment into the backcountry, seeing them, you know, pardon my pun, seeing them develop, and what, you know, having them take away experiences that are gonna gonna impact them for their entire lives. Is, is just is just phenomenal, and it's you know it's something that these these kids these kids don't get. Uh, they they just there 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 are no programs available to them. So I think I think that's that's probably that's probably one of the most one of the most uh, amazing things that that I you know I've been able to be a part of you know in you know in in sports in my you know my outdoor career. Awesome. No, that's that's really cool, and, and we'll I'll, I'll try to link. Do you have a website for that that program, the Blind Ambassador piece? Uh, it is actually a tab on my website right now. Okay, all right, cool. All right, so let's move on to the next segment. It's Athlete on Fire. It's really about the mental and physical piece of competing and doing adventurous things. Um, before we really dive into the segment, I told you before the show I wanted you to come up with a challenge or a workout or some kind of mental challenge, whatever you could. For our listeners, I call it fitness on fire, but it doesn't have to be fitness based all the time. Do you have do you have something that people can go try? Yeah, um, if uh, if anybody wants to know just a little bit about what it is to be me and and what I do, I have two things that I always tell people to give a try. One sounds pathetically easy; anybody can do it. Um, doesn't take any amazing uh, physical you know physical ability. You can't cheat. That's the only thing. All you got to do is get a blindfold, put it over your eyes, and and not cheat. I like to encourage people to sit on a couch. And then, without hurting yourself, without knocking over a light, go from your couch to the kitchen. And this should be easy because it's a room that you know intimately. You probably sat down and you put the couch where it is. You put the coffee table where it is. And once you go to the kitchen, open the fridge, get a Coke or your preferred drink of choice. Then I want you to go back to the couch, sit down, and then think to yourself, okay, how many things did I knock over? (laughs) And how confident am I that I actually got what it was that I was intending to get out of the refrigerator? I guarantee most of the people that are listening can't do that. So, But for those of you that can, take it to the next level. Next level? What's that? Yeah. The, the next level would be go outside of your house into a place where you're not familiar. Go, or go to your go to your local green light system. Get a little short piece of trail, maybe a half a mile, maybe a mile. Put on your blindfold. I'll even make it easy. You can do a section of trail that you've done many a time. And do your same workout that you would do. Or even shorten it up. See how many times you fall. Then, after you've done that, you've realized that, okay, it's a little bit harder than you think. Get back to your house, look at a map of the AT, and just imagine doing it that same way you just did for 2,100 miles. 
and then you can figure out what it is like to be me. Holy hell. Trevor, I've never gotten the chills listening to somebody give a challenge um, for Fitness on Fire. And that is phenomenal. And I'm I'm actually going to try it. You know what would be really cool? I'm just, I, I don't typically just have brainstorm sessions with my guests. But how cool would it be, maybe for the charity, maybe for the Blind Ambassador thing, if we could get people that are listening, and, and I have no idea how much pull I have to get people to do this stuff, um, but to actually video hiking a quarter mile on a trail that they know with a blindfold on um just to get some buzz for the for what you're working on and, and for the kids and all that stuff wouldn't that be awesome that would that would be incredible if i mean if they want to they want to video it send it to me i'll put it on youtube that, oh, that would be that would be awesome see i i have my little home tra- you know i'm in colorado so we're beyond spoiled out here we have a trail every 20 feet i can throw a baseball to every trail <laughs> within within oh, a yeah. mile of my house so i'm gonna so i'm gonna say this not to be arrogant, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I have two young kids that wake me up like 80 times in the middle of the night. So I have to go get like a bottle of formula in the middle of the night. I'm pretty sure I can do the first part because it seems like I'm walking through my house with my eyes closed, like trying to sleepwalk. So number, right, right. No, number one, I think I got as long as they don't leave Legos on the floor. But number two, I think that would scare the living crap out of me just to hike, especially out here and especially the AT. I mean, there's exposure on the AT as well. Um, so, so I, you guys got to try this and we'll, we'll put up some details. Maybe, uh, we'll get off air and kind of brainstorm a campaign for this, but I think it'd be really fun to kind of get people interested in, in, in this challenge. It's a great challenge, Trevor. All right. So cool. now I'm all, I'm all pumped to try this, this challenge that, that you've given everybody. I hope you guys go try it and really try to relate to Trevor. We're going to move into the, the bulk of athlete on fire, which is the bulk of the show. And we always start off with a really inspirational mantra or quote, um, that you, that you can share with us. So if you want to just take it away with that, that'd be great. Uh, let's see. Say the one thing that describes me. I'm not crazy. I don't have a death wish. I'm just a regular guy that really loves to hike. I just happen to be blind. Awesome. I'm not crazy. I don't have a death wish. <laughs> I'm just a regular guy. Happens to be blind. All right, that's awesome. I'm, I was writing it down as I'm as I'm talking in case I have to go back to that quote. Awesome quote. So we always just go into the mental and physical piece here, and and I have a feeling so much of it's going to be mental. Although the balance and the and, and the endurance that it takes to do a lot of stuff you, that you're doing is important too. So let's dive into the physical really quick because I don't think it's going to be as long a segment. Uh, and kind of tell us how you know how do you stay fit? How do you stay prepared for for what you do? Right now, um, are there any tricks to or tricks to the philosophy of training for you? Do you have any philosophies on it? Um, you know, just take a minute and, and tell us how you're prepping physically. Um, pretty much on any given day, I'm doing between 15 and 25 miles. Uh, when I get closer and closer, uh, say within a month out outside of, uh, of getting ready to go on a trail or do an event, I'm doing it with with more weight than I will ever have with me on trail just because I'd rather, I'd rather punish myself in training than be, be punished and miserable on trail. I've got too much to worry about while I'm out there. Um, also, since I have my dog with me, it's, it's quite training is a little bit interesting because there are certain guidelines I got to follow with her and I also got to keep her endurance up. So learning how to, learning how to hike with her was, actually more challenging than it was to be able to hike with a partner because we have to go at the same pace. We have to go at the same, you know, take, take same breaks at the same times. And like when you have a partner that's the human, so coordinating and getting to know my dog and, and being able to make sure she is at her best physical condition while I'm getting, you know, getting to mine, that was, that was quite a learning curve because there's nobody to teach me how to do it. Yeah. Um, for me, I have incredibly strong ankles. I like I have to keep them incredibly fle- incredibly flexible because I never know from step to step what my foot is going to be going to be put down on, whether it be a root, whether it be a rock. Um, also, I concentrate heavily on core because I need to have very very good balance. Um, when I'm, you know, when you when you're when you're hiking or when you're trail running and you've got you know maybe your camel back on or something like that, you know, core is fairly important. But for me, when I have a full pack on with, you know, a seven-day stretch of food for myself and for my dog and all our gear, it changes your center of gravity. And with me not being able to put a solid footfall down, um, that's, 
that's in, incredibly important for me. Yeah. Uh, so do, pretty and and so pretty much that's what I do. And of course, when you're climbing up one mountain and down another mountain, you know, four thousand up, four thousand down, and doing that over and over and over and over again, cardio is you know cardio to death month. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so how heavy a pack are you carrying, especially when you're when you're filled up? Uh, see, I used to be before I got my dog. I, was, I considered myself a true ultra lighter. Uh, I was with a seven day stretch of food in full water. Um, I was I was looking in the you know low twenties, high teens for my pack. Now, because I have a guide dog and she's also a working dog for me, I carry her weight. So I carry her gear. I carry her food. I carry her water in addition to my own. So hiking's gotten a lot harder. I'm I'm in the low 30s now, sometimes mid 30s. So it's it's gotten a little painful. Yeah, I mean, well, how big are you as a guy? How, how tall and heavy do you you know? How much do you weigh? Oh, I'm I'm five ten, and on a good day, I'm one forty five. So I'm yeah. I don't have a lot. Of, I don't I don't have a lot of my frame. Yeah, I mean that's legit. You're getting close to a quarter of your weight that starts getting, especially for the long long trails. I mean, so many people are ultra ultra light hiking this stuff. Hey, so really quick, let's give your let's give your dog a shout out. Is who who's your dog? What's her name? My dog's name is Camille. She is three and a half years old. She's been my guide for coming up on two years. On October thirteenth, we were partnered. Um, so it's it's hard to imagine what life was like two years ago when I didn't have her. Uh, she came from a school in San Rafael, California, called Guide Dogs for the Blind. And they were the they were the only school out there. When I told people what I wanted to do with a guide dog, they were the only ones that would accept me and help me train a dog to not only work for me in town, but to get a whole separate set of skills to actually work in the backcountry, not just go into the backcountry. Wow. So just talking right now, I would love to dive into just the relationship between you and the guide dog because I think it's so important. It's so interesting to me. Um, but in the essence of time, but let's maybe schedule that for, for time down, down the road. But if you guys are on, if you're on his site, just go to the team far site, uh, tab on his website and you can see to beautiful dog. It looks like you're standing on a rock with a little waterfall right there. And, uh, I'm assuming she didn't lead you into the, the slippery part. <laughs> so it's, it's, no. it's, it's so cool, man, yeah, just she- that she can help you get through some of these amazing hikes is just really cool to me so uh cool program is there is, is there anything else physically so you said core strength you said definitely strong ankles good cardio um being as strong as you can on trail so you can focus on the important stuff instead of worrying about being fit is there anything else you want to add to the physical piece um see the the only other key that that i really have to concentrate on while you know while on distance hiking is is basically weight management um, the kind of hikes that I do, you're always skirting the edge of protein starvation, and it's it, it's it's a lot of you know it's a lot of calorie management because no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to carry enough calories to to offset what you're what you're burning off. Yeah. So it's a you know it's a razor's edge we walk. Yeah, absolutely. So so just a little bit of planning, understand what kind of caloric expenditure you're going to have. Um, you know, in a two week, three week, four week period, kind of planning for that, just shoving stuff down your throat when you absolutely don't want to, just cause you know, you want to get through th- certain things. Uh, is that something that you plan out ahead of time or is it, do you just kind of go by feel? Um, I plan, I have to plan everything out ahead of time. And, um, especially with my nutrition, I've got to base it on the environment that I'm going to, the topography I'm going to and the weather. Is all those factors are going to affect going to affect every other part of my physiology. Awesome. All right, so that's physical. You know, like anything, I think just the logistics of some of the things that you're doing is so interesting. You know, minus the whole blind thing. I mean, that just makes it more amazing. So, so let's dive into the mental part um, and some of the challenges that you face. You know, tell us about how you prep mentally. You know, when you wake up in the morning on trail, is there a checklist that you go through? If not, how do you deal with with adversity on the trail? And when you're when you get nervous, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a lot of times when you, when you get pretty nervous or scared out there. So just uh, if you want to kind of dive into the mental piece. All right, um, mentally on trail, I think that's that's the the biggest thing for me. I'm not 
I'm not worried about being in camp or I really don't worry about, you know, animals, you know, any predators like that too much. I worry about the 15 to 20,000 steps I take each day, wondering whether I'm going to step on something that's going to crack an ankle or shatter a kneecap. I worry about the, the 9 to 11 decisions that I have to make that I can't afford to make incorrectly. I get to a trail intersection. I have to be 100% sure I've got you know, I've got my, my directions down and directions are easier than they sound. Uh, there aren't any maps made for blind people. There aren't any data books written for blind people. So I have to spend with my trail angel, I have to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours with her going line by line through a trail guide designed for a sighted person and transpose it into something that can be emailed to my phone, which will talk to me and continually through and continually throughout the day, I have, you know, most people, you know, a lot of people listen to their iPods or, you know, books on tape, you know, whatever, um, to, you know, to, to keep their head in the game. I'm doing math. Yeah. I have to keep track of my, I have to keep track of my cadence. I keep track of time that equals distance. Then I have to refer back to my, to my, my phone and say, for instance, I have to worry about a water source at 2.6 miles. Then when I get to about two miles, I have to really start listening. And I do what's called echolocation, which means that sound in the environment gives me a rudimentary picture of where I am. Not like a photograph, but more kind of like a human bat. I get an idea of where things are. Um, like a human what? I'm sorry? Like a human bat. Bat, gotcha. Kind of like, kind of like using sonar. Okay, teach me how um, to do it, man. Okay, I'm I'm out in the woods right now. Teach. Uh, you're out in the woods. Yep. Wow. Um, okay. Be very very quiet, and I guess the easiest way for somebody to start doing echolocation is take a pizza take a pizza pan with you, out you know outside in your local woods, and listen to say a cricket on the left hand side of of your head. And then to know what a sound return sounds like, put the pizza pan in front of your ear and listen to it go away. Do that over and over and over again. You'll start noticing, and that, that sound will hence start providing you with a picture of, am I in an open space? Am I in a, in a, in a wooded space? Um, you get really good at it. You can start telling, I'm on the side of a cliff. These rocks are made out of granite. Uh, and then, and then it, it slowly develops from there. Well, so how 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 would you know if rocks were made out of granite from the so you're listening to sound are they your sounds or just sounds around you like do you do you like whistle or like how are you doing that? I can I can do it actively or passively um, passively I tend to do uh, I tend to do more often than not because there always seems to be sound in the environment that is going to assist me but if I need to. I need to figure out a certain area or say it's really, really quiet, then I can make a sound. Usually if I'm in the backcountry, I simply use my, my trekking pole and tap it on a rock. And that's going to give me that's gonna give me the sound that I need. So what what would the sound be like if you tapped on a rock and you're in open space? What would that sound like? Okay. If I tap it if I tap it on a rock and I'm in an open space the sound return doesn't come back to me as fast as, say, if I'm standing in front of a uh, rock face. Okay. So the sound will travel further before I can before I get the sound return back. What about does the clip? Yeah, oh yeah, it does. So yeah, because it's going to bounce off, come right back to you pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about like a uh, a cliff? Like, how would you know a cliff versus? A cliff? Yeah, because you said you could probably you, you could tell if you're like near an edge or some exposure. Um, if I'm if I'm say walking on a knife edge, I will hear um, everything that's uh, say the say the cliff is on my is on my left hand side. Everything on the left hand side of my body is going to be a very broad, very open, very slow return on the sound. Everything on my right, which would be where which would be where say you know the other side of the trail would be a rock face. Everything would be coming crisp, clean, and sharp, and that's what tells me I'm standing on a cliff, or I've got a very large, uh, maybe a large bowl that's right off to my side. Wow. Okay. So, what about 
You said granite. How how is that? Just because how soft or hard the rock is, it, it returns faster. Yeah, um, I I can't tell you the difference between say like granite and marble. Um, you know the there are hard rocks to me, and then there are soft rocks to me. So granite is much much harder and has a different sound return than say sandstone does yeah. or limestone. Oh man. Okay, so really for people listening, this is not just for blind. I, I think. I've been lost in the dark maybe once where I was pretty nervous in the, in the back countries. Actually, do you know where Humpback Rocks is in Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, it was Humpback Rocks. Stayed up there late, and we went down bushwhacking, just goofing off, and we got really lost um, when I was younger. But I think using that for, for nighttime, just even if, you, even if you can't refine that skill as well as you have over the years, just being kind of cognizant of your surroundings and using, and just really trying to use more than one sense is huge. How, how is that? Uh, how is that factoring into what you're doing for these really long, long hikes? I think I it, it, it might sound kind of crazy, but I actually think that I get more out of any you know any mountain I've summited than anybody else that I'm with who sighted because I do experience the summit and I do have to concentrate with all my senses. And since the majority of the population, we live in a visual world, 90% of the sensory input that you get is visual. With me having to rely on my hearing, the smell, um, say the, the, the feeling, the feeling of the warmth of the sun on my face, I feel I get a more robust experience and memory from whatever I'm doing than say somebody who just, you know, looks around and says, Hey, this looks really cool. Plus it takes me 10 times the effort to get to the top of the thing than my sighted friends do. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So I have a couple questions off that and, uh, man, I'm just so intrigued. I, I, I love this stuff. And I, I, I was hoping that you'd say that because I, I wanted to believe that if you really tapped into it as a blind person or as any person that you could, you could get to a different place that was really rewarding and I think that's so empowering for, for other blind people and just other people who don't have, you know, other other handicaps and, and disabilities out there. I think it's really empowering for those people. So the first question is go to to the highest peak that you've ever been and let's just do a quick little a little exercise with the listeners. Um, I would say if you're not blind as a listener, go ahead and shut your eyes. And why don't you just describe what the top of the highest peak that you've ever been on felt like to you? Take 30 seconds to a minute. Okay, Mount Whitney, California. There was snow everywhere. It was even blown inside the lightning hut. It was sunny, except the wind was blowing. And so it felt kind of weird. You put your hand in snow, yet your sun, the sun is burning your face because you're so high up and it's reflecting off, it's reflecting off the, uh, off the snow. I was standing there in shorts and a short sleeve shirt and I was hot. And that was just such a, such a, a difference in what it should have been. I'm in snow, it should be cold, but no, it wasn't. And just listening to the sound of nothingness off the edge of the cliff was amazing. And then all of a sudden you realize you're in, you're even where I was, society is near because I heard, I don't know whether it was a 747, some kind of a jet plane just way off in the distance, just steadily flying across the sky. It was, it was, it was awesome. And then hearing people come up and make their summit and being really excited, just listening to their conversations was, was really cool. They, I don't know if they knew I was listening to them or not, or if they even cared, but um, I got to share a whole bunch of other people's summits, uh, summit experiences just kind of vicariously while I was standing on the side of the cliff. It was great. Oh, man, that's so cool. And and thanks for taking us there. And, and Mount, I, I haven't hiked Mount Whitney, but it's really it's a really beautiful place. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is intrinsic or if it's just I try to experience things, but uh, I'd say, like, probably one out of every two or three times I go do something that's physically demanding, I, I, I do shut my eyes and I try to feel the wind and the sun and, and take it in in a different way. And it definitely opens up your senses a little bit more. Um, 
the fact that I'm talking to somebody that has to do that is, is really cool. And I, and I love how it, it just really inspires me. So thanks for sharing that. So let's, before we dive out or dive out, before we get out of this segment here, um, tell, tell us one or two stories on a trail, uh, that were interesting, scary, like maybe one of your injuries. Cause I know you've gotten busted up pretty good. Um, yeah. how you got out of it, you know, like how you problem solve to get out of it and, and just share that with our listeners. I think, Stories are always where it's at. All right. I'd say probably probably one of the scariest times on trail. Um, I said a little bit earlier that I really don't worry about uh, the animals or the predators, but one of my through hikes in the Shenandoahs, uh, that really wasn't true. I did worry that day. I was hiking down the trail, just minding my own business, having a you know having a really great hike. When you finally get in the zone and miles are kicking off. And all of a sudden, on the right-hand side of the trail, I heard some claws on a tree. And they were little claws, so I said, okay, that you know could be you know, a raccoon, could be a porcupine, something like that. And then I heard another set, and I heard them scurry up the tree. I went, oh, no. And it turned out that was the sound of little bears, because all of a sudden, <laughs> I heard one of them squawk to its mom. And of course, when you have baby bears, mama bears always close by, and it's a taboo. Don't cross them. <laughs> well, to the left-hand side of the trail, mama bear decides that she doesn't want me there, and she starts she starts grunting and displaying to me. I'm like, great. You know, you read all the books about do this and you survive, but for every one of those stories, you do that <laughs> and you could die. So I just, I said, all right, you know, if this is the day, it's going to be the day. So I just put my head down, tried to reassure the bear, and sounds kind of stupid, but I started talking to it, saying, hey, bear, you know, I'm really not going to bother your club, your cubs. I'm just going to walk right on down this trail and just be on my way. And lo and behold, she let me get by, so I was really lucky that day, and Started cruising once she was out of earshot, started cruising again, still got the adrenaline flowing that I didn't get much by a bear, and went over a log, put my foot down, and instantly heard a rattlesnake oh right my... next to my foot. Gosh, are you kidding so, me? So I dive forward, and rattlesnake didn't get me. I'm like, I'm, I'm the most charmed individual in the world. I'm going to go play the lottery because I'm going to hit the trifecta. So stood there. Didn't know what to do with the snake because didn't want to leave it on the trail because somebody else is going to come by and go over the log and they'll get bitten. So sucked it up and got my trucking pole, got close enough to it so it started rattling, eased my pole up to it and just slid it off the trail and then went on my merry way. I think that's probably one of the scariest days I've had on trail. Um <laughs> That's ridiculous, uh, dude. You ran into bears and rattlesnakes in the same day. That's That never yeah, happens, ever. No, it, it, it never happens in a million years. And so I, I just went, okay, it'll never happen again, and I'm going to be like bulletproof from snakes and bears from that day forward. Um, but <laughs> See, I, I think probably... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to say the problem problem solving on trail for me is a, is a daily thing. Um, and it's gotten even, gotten even more interesting now that I have Tennille. We just got, we just got off the long trail and talk about trying to solve a problem is, um, when you get up around the, um, section of mountain called camel pump in Vermont, they've got these ladders that are bolted vertically to the rock face that you got to climb down. Seems, you know, seems pretty straightforward. Go to the rock face, find top of ladder, climb down ladder, then get to ledge, climb down next ladder, and you're done with section. Well, for us, we, I mean, we stressed on it so bad just getting up to this section. And I'd never climbed a ladder with my dog before. I'd never descended a ladder with my dog before. So I said, wow, this is going to be interesting. We try something new every time we're out. But we got to this first ladder, and Tennille did exactly what she was supposed to do. She found it. And then she just stood there, basically sitting there saying, well, what do we do now? You know, I found it for you. It's your job to figure out how to get us down. So 
literally had to sit there, climb down, climb back up. It was too far for me to be able to pick her up and carry her down the ladder because it was about a 30-foot drop to the first ledge. So I had to sit down, take everything out of my pack, and go over everything I had and figure out a way to take her pack and my pack and her harness and secure her to my front, hope to hell that the buckles hold, and climb down the ladder with her strapped to me without her going going freaky nuts and making us both fall. Um, that's I mean, probably that's one of the worst problems. That, um, let's see. The first drop was 30 feet, but the ledge that you got down to when you got to that was about two, two and a half feet, and then you go another 30 feet to the next ledge. So, yeah, we'd have taken a fall straight down about 100, 150 feet with all the ladder sections included. So you tied her. Was she facing you, like, hugging you, or was she facing sideways, or what? She, she's she got ice water in her veins. I mean, she has to because the minute, you know, the minute I started rigging things up, she just stood there. She looked at me, and when I stood up, she just she didn't struggle. She didn't fight. She said, okay, and she just hung there. And, you know, let me, let me go down and trusted that I wasn't going to drop her. Wow. So that was, it was amazing. That's so cool. That is an amazing story, Trevor. Holy cow, dude. You got some stories, man. I, I can't believe that you ran into two, to two baby, two baby cubs and, uh, and bear on trail. I've, I've seen cubs before, but never on trail. And, uh, the fact that you were able to manage both the situations with such calm and, you know, of course you're nervous, but you still, you still did a pretty darn good job staying calm in all these situations. So cool with yeah, the I was troubleshooting. Say, man, yeah, I was going to say manage them. I don't know about the calm factor. You get done and you're sitting there doing the, you know, doing the, uh, doing the Elvis shake once, once yeah. you get out of the, the jam. <laughs> but Oh man. Well, Hey, th- thanks for sharing all these stories. They're all great. I think, I think I, I could probably just sit here and pick your brain for hours and hours, but we are, we are getting close to our time limits. So I want to move on here. And uh, so right. that's, that's Athlete on Fire. We'll move on to Athlete Inspired. And before we do Athlete Inspired, I kind of like to just back off, stop thinking so darn hard uh, t- about good questions to ask you, and have a little bit of fun. So I've got a, I've got a goofy little quiz for you, okay? Okay. All right, so here we go. So we, we know that you're blind and that you are an adrenaline, adrenaline junkie and that you were before as well. Um, so nothing can compare to blind hiking. But... I want to know how much do you know about another thrilling sport? Competitive eating. It's just crazy. So I'm going to ask you a few questions that have to do with competitive eating and food and sport, okay? Okay. The point is that you don't kill it. You you know, we're trying to we're trying to stump you here. So here we go. Number 1, these are going to be multiple choice or true and false. The first one's multiple choice. So every May, on the top of a very steep hill in Gloucester, England, people gather with their 7-pound hunk of cheese to take part in the famous Cooper's Hill cheese rolling in Wake. Which of these facts is not true about this event? A, only pasteurized pasteurized cheeses are allowed in the competition. B, you must roll down the hill with your cheese. Or C, the cheese can roll up to 30 miles per hour. Which one is not true? Uh, A is not true. You are correct. Have Have you ever heard about this event? Um, no, I, I saw one hot dog eating competition on Food Network one time. That's it. <laughs> I, well, one of the guys I interviewed actually has done this event. So these guys, they take these big freaking cheese rolls, huge cheese rolls, and they're on this like wow. real, really steep mountain. Like it's like 40 degrees down, and they sprint down it, and the fastest person down gets this giant cheese roll, and people break their legs. And that's, and, that, that's what you win is the giant cheese roll? Yeah. It's it's the most wow. ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life. It's hilarious. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> so, all right, number two, you're one for one. Uh, according to the International Federation of Competitive Eating, which apparently there is one, which one of these is a real food world eating record? Okay, is it a a 22 ounce Slurpee in nine seconds, b 17.7 pounds of cow brains in 15 minutes, or c a 5.25 pound Whole turkey eaten in ten minutes by a hundred and four pound woman. And which one? Which one's correct? Yes. Which one is real? Uh gosh! All oh, that sounds just hideous. I would <laughs> go with the. I would go with the the turkey with the woman. That is correct, but 
Believe it or not, all three of those are correct. Somebody has actually done all of those. That's just nuts. Oh, nasty. Okay. <laughs> Cow brains and slurpees. Oh. All right, last one is true or false. The legendary, okay. the, the legendary Australian cricketer David Boone set the record for the most beer consumed on a flight, 52 cans of full-strength beer. Um, true. And that is correct. Pretty much three for three. Can you imagine? I mean, 52 cans of beer on a flight. Is that even, that's just unbelievable. I, that, that's just crazy. She's lucky he didn't die. <laughs> I know. That, you know, that's Australians though. You know, the, 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 stereotype, yeah, it's true. the stereotype is there for a reason. All right, man, we're going to go on athlete inspired. I'm having a great time. We're going to wrap it up with a few questions here. Uh, the, the first question for you is, is legacy important to you? Yes. Um, I think I think having a legacy is very important to, to me, uh, simply because I want to be able to give back to give back to my sport and give back to society as as much as I've been given. And I think paying it forward that's a that's a way to live life. Absolutely. So is there is there someone or something that's really inspiring you right now in the world? Oh, that's a tough question as well. I would say I would say each and every person that contacts me on my on my website asking me how to help them do whatever it is that they want to do, whatever whatever sport they want to attempt. I'm getting a lot of a lot of blind folks saying I need your help. Those people really inspire me because they're taking it, walking outside of their comfort zone and achieving the most out of life. Absolutely. So how how often are you getting these messages, do you think? It, it started off when I first had a website. It was maybe one every six months. Now I'm getting five, six a week from all over the world, which is really cool. Oh, man. That, that's so neat. And, of course, your legacy is going to live on through people that you can help. So that's really cool, man. All right. So do you have a, a book that you can recommend that you really like that, that you can fall back on or just something you really enjoy? A uh, book to recommend to people. Um. I would say before um, before it got a whole bunch of bad rap, three cups of tea. I really liked it. Cool. Well, in the story, I mean, yeah, of course it got a bad rap, but the the story is there, and and however much of it is is true or not, really, in the end, doesn't matter. We we're inspired by fiction all the time. <laughs> that that's kind of my take on things. Um, uh, you know, it is, a, it is a good book for sure. All right, so we're, we're such a connected society. I've told people your website. Is there any other way people can reach out to you and, and really connect or, or send you a message and learn more about what you're doing? Uh, let's see. They can go to my website. They can contact me on either of my Facebook pages. Um, they, can, they can even call me on the phone. I love, I love hearing from people. I love talking to people about, you know, about what we're doing. Awesome. Man. So that would be, yeah, that would that would be awesome. Um, and you know, we're every time we're on a trail, we we love having people follow us on Facebook and sending us words of encouragement. So, um, yeah. Cool. All right. So I, I have a couple questions with for you to finish up. Um, I'm going to go back to that one I said, just kind of to hold it on onto it. So you had a photographic memory when when you did have your site, and uh, yeah, 35 years old lose your sight and you're probably having to, to learn some of the tools or why you were good at it. So let's give, let's give people blind or not some tools on how they can enhance their memory or use other senses to really, um, to really do well in, in different areas, whether it's studying or hiking or doing any athletic thing. What are a few tools that you've learned from, from that skill of the photographic memory to, to date? Well, I'm still trying to re relearn how to learn uh, now that I don't have my photographic memory anymore because it doesn't apply to anything I hear. So it's not an auditory memory, which kind of sucks. But what I, what I do now is I have a system for everything. I, you know, I, I might be considered OCD. I know where exactly everything is because I have to. I plan, you know, I plan and prepare for everything you know, ritually over and over. Um, repetition will help you improve your memory. Um, 
I do that because once again, I have to. And I know that uh, if I don't, if I don't follow through and, and develop these systems and adhere to them, bad things happen. Could be bad things all the way from losing the keys to my house to um, being lost in the wilderness and ending up in a bad way. So that's, those are, those are the things. It's just, my sister told me once, you know, now you know what it's like to be human um, because I actually do have to work at, you know, repetitively learning things like everybody else did and what I took for granted that I didn't have to do. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. We're going to wrap everything up right now. Uh, let's dive cool. into the well, – there's a question I asked you in the very beginning about the 15-year-old version of yourself. Um, so why don't you go back to that 15-year-old version of you, the, the guy who's mountain biking out in Grand Junction and, and getting that adrenaline, that fix, and give give that version of yourself some advice right now. Give you that version what? I want you to go give the 15-year-old version of yourself some advice. Live each day to the fullest and appreciate everything, no matter how small. Awesome. Because you never know. Awesome, man. Well, I, I've had a couple guests who've gone through some, some crazy changes in their lives and, and some mentors in my life, including my, my dad. Uh, and everybody, one, one of the things I always take from people is, is life is what happens when you're busy making, making plans. And uh, exactly that, that happens to everybody. And just having an open mind that anything can happen at any time is probably very empowering. I, I appreciate your time today, Trevor. I, I appreciate Soul hooking us up and, and really allowing us to connect and, and share an amazing story with, with my listeners today. So, so thank you so much. Well, definitely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. This is for everybody else tuning in today. I'm Scott Jones, and you guys have been listening to Athlete on Fire show, and you guys were inspired by Trevor Thomas, the blind hiker who is truly an athlete on fire. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com. All right, everybody, that is it for episode number 80 with Trevor Thomas. If that did not inspire you, uh, then pretty much the 79 interviews before this will not inspire you either because you don't get much better than that. I'm going to go do the challenge. I'm going to go find a trail, have my wife or a buddy video me, uh, blindfolded and see what happens. I know it's not going to be easy, but I can't wait to go try it out just to relate to Trevor just a little bit and see what it's what it's really like. So it, that was a really cool challenge he shared with us. I'm going to step back right now and let my, my good friend Chris Bame, who does our voiceovers, take it away and share some, some news from our sponsor. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, athlete on fire. Thank you, Scott. As you know, today's athlete interview is brought to you by Soul, and all their products are customizable and adapt to your feet, giving you the right amount of support and effectively reducing pain so you can be and stay active. As a special bonus, Athlete on Fire listeners, you guys can use the promo code AOF15 online at yoursoul.com to get 15% off your order. Thanks for listening, and remember, you guys are athletes on fire. Hey.